morning, as we consider the birth of Jesus, I, I want us to look at how this should impact our walk as Christians. There are three things I want us to consider when we look at the birth of Christ this morning that teach us about the mission of the Lord. And when I think about the mission of the Lord, this morning I mean it from what uh, you might understand the term, a helicopter view. So when we get into our individual missions, each person, right, every Christian, God has a plan for you in the body of Christ. We are all members of the same body and we all need each other. But there are some great big general principles that apply to all of us. And when we look at the birth of Jesus, I see three things in it that uh, are important to us concerning our mission as Christians. Some things that we need to understand, some things that we learn about the birth of Christ or through the birth of Christ. Number one this morning, we learned that the greatest hope, I'm telling you folks, people need hope. The greatest hope is found in the one who keeps his promises. This birth was a promise kept. And it was a promise kept that many were getting weary of waiting for. The birth of Christ had been prophesied nearly 700 years before it happened. Would you agree that's a long time to wait on a promise? 700 years. History tells us that there was almost a 400 year year span of silence. God used to quite frequently speak to his people through the prophets. Uh, they would, they, he would speak to the prophets. They would write. They would share what the Lord was speaking. And then all of a sudden it's as if God went silent. 400 years of silence. 400 years of darkness. And then Jesus was born into that darkness. And it teaches us something about our God. That he always keeps his promises. I want you to look at what might be one of the clearest prophecies of the coming of the Lord. It was written about 700 years before Christ came in Isaiah 7:14. Here's what it says. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus was born, Matthew tells us this was done to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. We have a prophecy fulfilled and a promise kept. Now here's why this is important. Because we serve the one true God who can be trusted. And folks, brothers and sisters, we have to trust the Lord. And we have to remember that God has always, 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 always put his people to the test where he would give them his word and then there'd be a little bit of time where it was like well let's just see God's like we'll see if you really believe what I say you go all the way back to Abraham the father of the faith and you'll see that God gave Abraham promises and Abraham would journey a little bit and then Abraham like us would start to wonder God when are you going to come clean up through on your promise God, when are you going to do what you said you were going to do? And when we study the life of Abraham, Abraham got himself in some trouble because he went outside of God's will for his life. 
He made some decisions that were sinful because he was, a, you know, he was like, I, I, God said he was going to do this, but it hadn't happened yet. And when you study the life of Abraham, you know that eventually, about 24 years later, after the initial promise, God comes through and God does exactly what God said he was going to do. You look at God telling Moses that he was going to lead the people into freedom. And then you see all the people of Israel. Pharaoh says, finally, after 10 plagues, get out of here. They're on their way. And what happens? They come up against the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind. It looks like Pharaoh and his army is going to close in and slaughter them all. And you know the story. Eventually, God parts the Red Sea and leads them out on the other side. What I'm trying to tell you is this. When God gives us a promise, when God gives us his word, there's a period of waiting and there's a period of just, God, I've got to trust you on this. But he always comes through. And the birth of Jesus Christ is an evidence that what God has declared in this book, folks, it always comes to pass. And so we need to be able to look back at what I would call past promises to remind our heart that our hope, our hope is in the one who always keeps his word. Now, these are past promises, but we have some present promises that we, as God's people, can rest in. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now look at this promise here. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. Now when Jesus adds these words to the end of the age, it is a clear promise that his presence will go with his church. In other words, this wasn't just a promise to the disciples that were right in front of him, but a promise to all of his disciples that would ever come. And so we see that Jesus has promised to be with us always. Why would Jesus tell his disciples that? I'm going to give you two basic reasons. Number one, he was getting ready to ascend. And so his physical human form was no longer going to be accessible to them. And instead, the Holy Spirit would fall on Pentecost and the Holy Spirit would live and dwell in them. And so for one, he's telling them things are going to change in our relationship, but I will still be with you always. Number two, and this is, this is what I want us to see this morning considering our hope, folks. All of these disciples were going to go through immense persecution. Most of them were going to die martyrs. So don't get it convoluted that just because Jesus is with you, Jesus isn't promising, lo, I'll be with you always, so you're never going to suffer. You're never going to go through harm. You're never going to go through pain. Everybody's going to love you. Everybody's going to treat you good. He's not telling them that. He's letting them know that you're going to experience some things in your life where you're going to be thinking to yourself, God, where are you in all of this? He says, in essence, don't forget, I always keep my promises. And I am with you always, even through the hard times, even through the persecution. And I don't think there is a better picture in all of the Bible 
that when you look at Acts, I think it's chapter 6 and 7, when you look at Acts, you will see the record of the death of Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr. And we see Stephen being martyred for his faith, publicly stoned. And here's what it tells us, that right before he died, his face began to shine like a light. And he looked up into the heavens, and he sees the Lord, and he, he commends himself to the Lord, and he ends up, and he dies there as a martyr. And we see even in death, even in the horrific face of martyrdom, there was our God. He is always with us. I heard a preacher several years ago say something that really stuck with me about this verse. Lo, I am with you always. He said when you really study it, it's not a promise. It's a statement of fact. It's not I will be there. But I am now. And I, what I am, I will always be. It's, it, Jesus is with us now, folks. This is a promise. And when we look around at the absolute insanity of the world that we live in, when we look at it dissolving into chaos, when we look at the deception that is absolutely everywhere you look, north, south, east, and west, and everywhere in between, when no matter where you look, we see a world of chaos and destruction. First of all, don't have time to get into it this morning, but this book also told us that would happen. God told us exactly what it was going to look like before the return of the Lord. And, and what I'm telling you here this morning, brothers and sisters, is that when we talk about hope, people need hope. You need hope. I need hope. The world needs hope. You will never find real true hope anywhere else than in the one who always keeps his word. When you know for a fact that somebody has made a promise and they are going to keep it, that there is nothing that could keep them from keeping their word. When you know that, there's a sense of hope that in one way or another, I don't know how it's going to come. I don't know when it's going to come. I don't know when he's going to pull through, but I know this. I know that I know that I know that I know he will, because he always does what he says he's going to do. And there is no place else in this entire world where you can find that kind of hope except Jesus Christ. And when he was born, folks, it was an evidence of God keeping his promises. I talked about promises of the past, promises we have now. But because of these past promises, because of the fact he is with us now, we can also trust in the promises we're waiting on. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, verses 1 through 3, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, here's the promise, I will come again. Thank God he's coming again, folks. And will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. Our worship leader referenced that not too long ago. The idea, what's it going to be like when we actually get to go where he is? 
when we get to walk in that promised land and we get to see Him face to face and we get to worship with one another and all the saints of old and all the angels, it is going to be something we cannot fathom. But He is coming for us. Do not forget it, folks. He is coming. He has promised. And He is the God who always keeps His word. This morning... Here's the application. We should be awaiting His soon coming return with joy and anticipation. And I, I want to issue a challenge. By the time that there had been 400 years of darkness and 400 years of basic silence before the birth of Jesus, there was not a whole lot of anticipation. In fact, when we study the birth of Jesus Christ, you know who was excited about it? Three wise men from the east. They have to show up and they have to say, we hear that a king's been born. And then, then the king, who's not even a Jew, is like, well, where is this child? And then he talks to the Jewish people who have some understanding of their Jewish history. And even then, the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees care so little, they don't travel to Bethlehem to see if this Christ has been born. There was very little anticipation from God's people about the first coming of Christ. And when I look at the church today, honestly, there is very little anticipation about His second coming. But folks, it's going to happen. And we should anticipate it. And I'm telling you, when you look at this book and you look at the things God told us would happen right before the coming of the Lord... I'm telling you, it's, it's nearer than we think. I believe with all of my heart that there is a very real chance, based upon my understanding of this book, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back in my lifetime. I believe that, 100%, that there is a very real chance of it. And when things get hard, when the world mocks, We've got to remember, we serve the one true God who always keeps His promises. And that is our hope. The second thing I see in the birth of Christ, we see that the greatest love is to enter someone's world. You know what Jesus did to show us that He loved us? He entered our world. It says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. One of the greatest acts of love is to enter someone's world and walk with them through it. I want you to think about it in your own life, and then I'm going to talk about how God has done this for us. But I want you to think about it in your own life. The people whom you love the most, and the people who you know love you the most, are people who have walked with you through life. They are people who were there when everybody else wasn't. They are people who were there when things got hard in your life, when you guys were facing difficulty and you were facing uncertainty, and when most of everybody else said you can just go it alone, or maybe they turned and walked out. There were a few that said, because I love you, because I am here for the long haul, I am not going anywhere. And it's those people who have been with you and walked with you through life that you have a sense of absolute confidence. I know that person loves me. 
It's true in our human relationships. But consider the fact that our God came and lived here for 33 years. When I say that he came and entered our world, I don't mean that he showed up for a Christmas party and gave a couple gifts and then left. I mean he entered our world. I mean he suffered like we suffered. I mean, in fact, let's, let's look what it says about the way he was tempted. In verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, this is speaking of Jesus. It says, we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one, listen to these words, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We serve a God who came to be with us and demonstrated His love for us by entering into our world. This morning, there might be somebody here that you're not right with God and you know it. But God's kind of doing something in your life that's the very reason you're here this morning. You're searching. You're wondering. Your, your, your heart's kind of open to maybe this God thing. And one of the things you might struggle with is how could God love you? And I tell you this morning, the very fact that God's working right now to crack open your heart and enter into your life is proof that He loves you. The fact that He sent His Son to die for you is fact that He loves you. The fact that Jesus shed His blood for you is fact that He loves you. And now He's trying to enter into your life. And it's the proof He loves you. When you look at the gifts that Jesus gave, you'll find they weren't exactly what we thought they would be. They're not earthly gifts. The gift of entering into our world. What should the response be? I want, to, I want to mention this before going on to point three this morning. What should the response be to those of us who are Christians? That one of the greatest acts of love is entering someone's world. If we're going to reach people on a deeper level, folks, we have to learn to enter someone else's world. I believe, I really do, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say. I believe that it matters that we donate to important causes. I believe it matters that we, we put our money where our mouth is. That said, you will probably never impact another human being writing a check than you will by entering someone's world. And we tend to, what we tend to do as Christians is we tend to look for the, the uh, you know, the, the gift we can give so that we can absolve ourselves the duty of doing more. So that we can check the box and say, I supported that thing. I gave some gifts here. I donated money here. I donated a little time here. But the reality is this. 
There is no greater love than truly being willing to sacrificially give of yourself and enter into somebody else's world. I personally believe this is one of the reasons life groups are so important. Because it creates the opportunity for you to get real about entering someone else's world and it forces you to open up and let someone enter your world and build meaningful relationships beyond sitting here for an hour next to each other shoulder to shoulder and hearing me talk. And you will find that it's in that context of time invested to one another. Of entering someone's world, doing what it takes, you know, to, to... Cheesy statement, but to walk a mile in their shoes. It's a statement that came to my mind. To go with them, to be with them, to know a little bit about their life and just to go with it through them. I think about Job's three friends who eventually messed things up when they started trying to come up with a solution. But you know what they did? They just came the first seven days and they did a great job. They just sat with him. I've had to learn this as a pastor that there are a lot of times I cannot fix it. I don't have a solution And almost, if I even open my mouth, I'm probably going to say something stupid. What I need to do instead is just say, I am so, you know, sorry you're going through what you're going through. And you need to know that we are here and we are praying. And basically just be present. When Jesus was born, folks, the Son of God entered our world. He laid down the splendor and glory of heaven. And he came, as you know, not with a red carpet, not with trumpets sounding, not with all the kings of earth there saying the greatest king is here, but instead born in a manger, announced by shepherds. He lived for almost 30 years in obscurity. To me, that's another mind-blowing point. We know very, very little about the life of Jesus until he was about 30 years old. It's wild. In fact, the last record we have at all of his life before 30 is when he was 12. 12 years old. And we have this quick little record of one thing that occurred. And then not a word for another 22 years. That's mind-blowing to me that the Son of God would come and live here. And we'd have 22 years where there's no record of his life. You know why? He lived like you and I. He entered into our world to know us, to live like us, so that we could say in all ways, he was tempted like we are, yet without sin. He didn't fall like we fell, but he knows what we lived through. He knows what we experienced because he came and he did it. One of the greatest ways that we love people is by entering into their world. Number three this morning third thing that I see is that the greatest gifts are those that never perish. Jesus was certainly a gift to mankind, but the Bible teaches us that he came and gave gifts to men. Yet the gifts that Jesus gives are not like we typically think of. They're not the earthly kind. In Ephesians 4, It tells us this. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, this is just one of the gifts that he has given us, but I want to break it down. We see that one of the primary gifts that Christ gives to this world, that Christ gives to us, is the gift of people. That He gives people whom He gives gifts to that we might encourage and edify one another. This is a great verse in Ephesians chapter 4. I don't know if you've ever noticed it or seen it yet. But it names all these positions that we're kind of familiar with in the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Notice it doesn't say those guys do ministry. And I'm not saying they don't. But that's not what it says. It says that God gave those people to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We see that the majority of ministry that happens comes through the saints. And it is the job of pastors and teachers and evangelists to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so all of us play this role in the expanding of God's kingdom. And notice it says grace was given. You know what grace is? Grace is unmerited, undeserved favor. So whoever you are, whatever gift you have, it is a gift of grace. It's not like you earned it. God didn't look at me or anybody else and say, wow, you finally did so much. You earned this gift. God gives us People, God gives gifts out of grace. And I, I, I want to I look at the back end of, that pro, of this, this uh, thing in Ephesians. Notice it says, for the, the work of ministry until we all, I love the word all, until we all attain the measure of the fullness of Christ. All of us. Man, that is a cool promise that you and I and your neighbor we all have the capacity to keep growing forward and the goal is that we grow forward until we attain the fullness of Christ. This is an awesome promise concerning the gifts of the Lord. Jesus wasn't a giver of silver and gold. In fact, it's kind of humorous. But the only time that Jesus ever, ever gave silver was to Peter, who owed some taxes, and it was used to pay tax. So the only time that Jesus ever actually gave silver or gold, it was immediately taken by the government. Fact. When you look at the gifts that Jesus gave, here's the point, when you really study Jesus' gifts, they weren't earthly gifts, folks. They, they, they weren't the things that we, we necessarily think of. You'll, you'll certainly find Jesus on a couple of occasions feeding people who are hungry. But the gift that Jesus came to give is imperishable. It's not earthly things. I truly, truly believe that we should thank God for everything that we have. But all too often, the only thing I hear people thank God for are the earthly things they have. Their earthly success, their earthly wealth, you know, their earthly things. And I think we should thank God for all things. Don't misunderstand me. But what I'm telling you is, when you look at the gift of Jesus, the greatest gifts, they are imperishable. They're not, they're not things. 
And this should matter when we look at how we as Christians try to live out our Christian mission. Are we just looking for ways to give perishable things? Or are we going beyond the perishable and trying to give the true gift of eternal life? Concerning the gift of land. Concerning the gift of homes and things. Look what Peter said about it in Matthew 19. Then Peter said in reply, he's speaking to Jesus. See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for My name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. Eternal life, that's something that never perishes. Possibly the greatest example of an imperishable gift that our Lord gave us was the gift of salvation, the gift of atonement, dying on our behalf, the gift of what God calls the incorruptible blood. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He says you are redeemed or ransomed, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Thank God for the imperishable gift of the precious blood of Christ. When we understand the gift of God, God has not promised earthly success. You know, there are people who, who turn away from the Lord because of suffering. They turn away from the Lord because of pain. And they say, if God is good and if God is real, then why, why do I suffer so much? Listen. The first thing I want you to know is that this same God that you're asking about loved you enough to enter into your world and live it. And so he can sympathize with your suffering. He can sympathize with your weaknesses. And, and, and I mean this sincerely. It is unlikely that you have ever suffered anything compared to what he suffered for you. You still got a heartbeat and you are still breathing. He was nearly beaten to death before they crucified him. And he hung on a cross and bled and died for you. And so stop with the, if God was good, why would we suffer? Jesus suffered. 
We live in a fallen world. And you've got to get your mind off of, well, if God's good, He'd give me the gift of never having to endure pain. That's temporary. There is coming a day eternally when those who are His, when those who have placed their faith in Jesus, there is coming a day, and this is our hope that we talked about in point one, there is coming a day when there will be no more suffering, not even a tear, it says. God will wipe every tear from our eyes. There's coming. That day's coming. But now, in this fallen world, the greatest promises that we have they are imperishable. It is, it's the blood of Jesus. It's salvation through Him alone. This morning, I, I encourage you, I plead with you. If you've never truly turned your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never repented of your sins and made that decision in the depth of your soul, I'm going to follow Jesus. I plead with you to do it today. And Christians, on this Christmas holiday, I challenge us to remember that when Christ came, there's some things we learned. Some things we learned about our mission. The greatest hope is in the God who always keeps His promises. And when we're trying to spread the message of hope and we're trying to give people hope and we're trying to, 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 to shine the light to a lost and dying world, understand something. The hope that they need is in Him. The hope that they need is in the one who always keeps His word. I cannot promise you. I can't give you some false hope. I can't promise you that if you come to Jesus, He's going to pay all your bills next month. I can't promise that. Can't do it. I can't even promise you that if you come to Jesus, you're never going to be sick again. I can't promise you the people that you love aren't going to die. I can't promise you the bad things won't happen here on this earth. I cannot promise you that. But I can promise you this. He will be with you through it all. We've got to remember this when we're trying to give people hope. A lot of times we, we circumvent this and we're giving people cheap hope. I've got to remember that the greatest love, one of the greatest forms of love is simply entering into someone's world. And if we're not careful, folks, our mission will be to revert to the cave. Too many Christians do. They revert to the cave. They don't enter into other people's worlds. They're not entering into people's worlds, walking with them through life and helping them come to know the Lord. We've got to remember that Jesus came and lived with us. We've got to remember that the greatest gift, they're the imperishable. Those that last, last forever.